Anyone who knows me very well knows that I have one great weakness. If you're one of my friends on Facebook, you know what it is, because you do see a lot of pictures of me eating ice cream. Yes, it's true, that's my weakness. When I was a little girl, my grandmother would buy quarts of Lady Borden chocolate ice cream just for me, and she would le let me eat it out of the carton with a spoon. And it has kind of become one of my major foibles in life. If you listen to one of my children's stories in the last couple weeks, you heard me say that when I go on an outing, it's not really an adventure unless it includes ice cream. And when you have ice cream when you're on an adventure, it usually comes in a cone, right? But there's a problem with a cone that you don't have when you're eating out of the carton with a spoon, and that is dripping. How many of you, when you've been enjoying your ice cream on a nice summer day or maybe a winter day, you've been licking your ice cream and all of a sudden you look down and you realize that you are wearing your ice cream. As children, we are taught that you don't eat ice cream from the top, that you lick around the edges, but you know it only takes one little distraction and all of a sudden there's the big drip right in the middle of your shirt. And there is no hiding it. When it happens to my husband, he suddenly becomes very patriotic and puts his hand over his heart. I have a friend who she carries separate clothes in her car just for such emergencies. Or if you're really organized or maybe a mom, you might carry a tied to go pen in your glove compartment. So then you're ready for not just ice cream, but for ketchup and taco sauce as well. But the bottom line is that most of us are really embarrassed by those stains that are splashed across our chest. And we do everything we can to hide them or to erase them or in some other way just to make them go away. We like to be clean or at least appear like we are clean. There are several words in the Bible that are translated to be clean. But it's interesting that in both the Hebrew and the Greek, one of the words that is translated to be clean is the word holy. Now we do like to be clean, but I think we have some reservations about being holy. It's a great word to use for God. You know, we sing that beautiful, magnificent hymn, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And we're really feeling good about God being holy. But it goes on in that hymn and says, only God is holy. So if only God is holy, we don't want to, you know, be in competition with that. So holiness is not for us, right? And then we have that expression, holier than thou, which is kind of a derogatory term describing someone who thinks that he or she is better than everybody else. That is so negative. We certainly don't want to have any connection with that. I think we're more comfortable when we use it in kind of an exclamatory way, kind of an off-handed way that makes it really sound almost unholy. We'll say something like, holy moly. 
And we seem more comfortable using holy in that context than how it really, really should be used. But clearly, holiness and humanness should not be used in the same sentence, right? Too bad that the Bible writers did not get that memo. You know, God himself speaks to his children and he says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's written in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But how can we be? The first time that the word holy is used in the Bible is in the story of Moses and the burning bush. Similar to a mom who has just mopped her kitchen floor, God tells Moses to take off his shoes because he's standing on holy ground, ground that has been cleaned. But this ground has not been, been cleaned by spick and span and water. This ground has been cleaned by the fire of the presence of God himself. God chooses to use the word holy in this very crucial time because it's a trans transitionary period for Israel. This is the time when it, they are at liberty after years of slavery. This is a time when he is really beginning to transform them into a nation. And after centuries of marinating in the tantalizing Egyptian culture, God knew that his people needed a deep understanding of holiness, a contrast that showed purity and cleanliness. God's holiness fills us with awe in this story, but there really is kind of an aspect of fear in it as well. God had to let his superstitious people know that he was the real deal and that he had a power that was superior to anything they had seen in Egypt. And the burning bush was just the introduction to that. But to a modern reader, the face of holiness in this story can be a little intimidating. As we go forward in the Bible and read more stories, we still get that same feeling. We have the stories of Achan and Uzzah, and those fan the flames of fear as we read through them. When Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land because they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness because they were better at whining than they were at holiness, well, this guy named Achan, he disobeys God. He steals some of the spoils of war that they had taken from Jericho that were devoted to God. They were holy things, right? He steals them, and he ends up being stoned and burned with fire. Yow. Going forward, centuries later, when David becomes king of Israel, he decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem without reading the owner's manual. Rather than transporting the Ark on the shoulders of the priests, as instructed, they load it up on a cart, and it's pulled by animals. 
Well, one of the priests, who also didn't mean the directions, reaches out and touches the ark when it starts getting a little tipsy, and he immediately dies. Now, both of these severe punishments also happened during very important periods of transition for the people of Israel, kind of like when God manifested himself in the burning bush. But it leaves a message to modern readers. If something is holy, you better not mess with it. And you don't put your dirty fingerprints all over God's holy things. They're just not really very endearing stories pairing humanity with holiness. When we read those kinds of stories, it kind of reaffirms in our minds that holiness is really reserved for God. But, you know, if we read in Leviticus several times, and in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1.16, God tells us something very different. 1 Peter 1.16 reads, It is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. This whole cleanliness thing, this whole holiness thing, seems scary, seems impossible, seems like it's really not for us, no matter what God says. But let's fast forward past those stories and into the New Testament. Remember, holiness means to be clean, right? And if I asked you to complete the words of another familiar hymn, I bet most of you can do it. How does it go? What can wash away my sins? Do I hear you? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Ah, Jesus. It is what all of life and death, all of history, revolves around. Jesus. He is the one who makes us clean. And suddenly, for the first time, holiness starts to feel a little bit more possible. You know, we've heard it ever since we were little kids, and we first memorized John 3.16, right? Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We know all those texts. Jesus provided for us holiness, the holiness of grace. And there is no more beautiful, life-changing truth in all of the Bible. Better than a tide-to-go pen, Jesus remarkably removes the stains from our hearts and our minds. How does he do that? Romans 5.8 gives us a bit of an explanation. Romans 5.8 says, 
But God shows his love for us. Notice that's in the present tense. It's not past. God shows his love for us now in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul continues that thought kind of a little bit later. If you go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. He didn't wait for us to get our acts together. But Jesus switched places with us. And he died with, his, with our dirty stains on his heart. And if we receive his gift, we receive his clean heart and become completely clean. You know, it, it still kind of takes my breath away. It is the holiness of grace. And it is one of the reasons why Jesus came. Most Christians tenaciously embrace that truth. About 50 years ago, however, the power of that truth had kind of been pushed into the background somewhere. And not all of us were raised with a, an appreciation of grace. We were more familiar with those scary stories from the Old Testament that seemed to base holiness on behavior. And those stories kind of left us wide-eyed and feeling just about as dirty and embarrassed as if we had just dripped chocolate ice cream all down the front of our best Sabbath clothes before church. But when the amazing realization of grace came, it bubbled up during the 70s, we found that we had been made clean. Yet unfortunately, what happened was then the pendulum seemed to swing to the other side. The holiness of grace became so freeing that there were some who felt that obedience had somehow become a dirty word. Years ago, my husband and I had the privilege of working at an Adventist academy where the Bible teacher came to this exact conclusion. One of his students explained it to me like this. He said that when Jesus gave the commandment to love the Lord with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, then the other Ten Commandments became obsolete and they were no longer binding. Throwing out the baby with the bathwater, in ridding themselves of legalism, they tossed away the clear instruction that was written by the very finger of God, his desires, his way to help us live out his love in action. 
and how he wanted to nurture a closeness with us and how he wanted to help us nurture a closeness with each other. In the book of Romans, the old Pharisee, Paul, kind of argues with the post-Damascus Road Paul over and over on this very topic, doing his best to clarify that obedience and grace go hand in hand. But for many, the cleanliness of grace totally has obliterated the need for any kind of obedience. If Paul was drawn into one such debate today, like he was in his day, debating against obedience, I think that he would say the same thing he said then. In the strongest type of negative, short of an expletive in the Greek language, Paul exclaims, me gnoito, God forbid, no way. But what is the balance? As clear as the Bible is on the indescribable grace of Jesus, all through its pages, all kinds of guidance on the day-to-day challenges of how to live life for God. Day by day, we need that amazing grace that Jesus has provided, not once, every single day. Because we continually stain the front of our shirts like a two-year-old with a chocolate ice cream cone in Phoenix. But Paul gives us further instruction Clearly, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, regarding the way that we are called to live out our lives. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, and then 7 and 8. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 3, and 7 through 8. Paul says, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, for those of you who are older, like me, we have been very familiar with that word sanctification. We've heard it all through our childhood and through our teen years. But it's interesting that the Greek word there is hagiasmos, the same word that's later translated in the text as holiness. Later on, we see that it, is to, that it means to make holy. And Paul makes it very clear 
that this holiness is the will of God and the Lord Jesus, that they want us to experience this walking with them kind of holiness. And how do we get it? Clearly it says to walk and please God more and more. Can you hear the process in that? Clearly there is a holiness that grows in us more and more the more we walk with Jesus. Ellen White, in the book, The Ministry of Healing, succinctly says, God desires that we shall constantly be growing in holiness. Then notice again that final line of the text where it says, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with holiness? Jesus calls him the helper. And we know that the Holy Spirit convicts the heart. He teaches, he guides, he comforts. We know that the love of God is poured out to our hearts from the Holy Spirit. But when we give him access to our hearts, Paul reminds us, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, a text I think that you are all quite familiar with. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Could it be that walking closer to Jesus and in receiving his Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that makes us holy. When you read Jesus' last words to his disciples before his crucifixion in the book of John and the beautiful prayer that he prayed for them, he talks a lot about the coming of the Spirit, unity, and a shared oneness you see, it is the Holy Spirit who can change us from the inside. In a beautiful blending of the holiness of grace with the holiness of growth, Paul writes in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, I think, Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oswald Chambers, who is one of my very favorite Christian writers, says it like this. The destined end of man is not happiness, nor health, but holiness. Holiness is not only what God gives me, but what I manifest that God has given me. Holiness is a perfect union with God. So 
Does God really care how I live my life? Clearly, he knew from the beginning that we were weak and that we would have a very impossible time standing against Satan. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit worked out a plan to redeem us even before we were created. So Jesus came and died. He's fixed the problem, right? So seriously, we don't need to worry about it, right? Wrong. Sin is deplorable to God. If it wasn't a big deal, would he, wouldn't he just have shrugged his shoulders when Adam and Eve sinned and given them a second chance or a third chance back in Eden? But he had been through a hideous war in heaven. And Jesus knew how horrible sin could be. He had made man and woman clean. And it was necessary that they remain so if he was going to walk in the garden with them. Sin separates us from God. And when I hold tightly to some sin that I say that I just can't overcome, I am choosing to push him away. You know, it breaks his heart to be pushed away. It breaks his heart to be far away from us. It's funny how being a mom has taught me more about the heart of God than anything I've ever read or ever experienced. When we took my firstborn off to college, I just kind of thought my heart was going to break. I had never been away from her for more than a couple weeks, and you know she was ready for college. She was excited. She was thrilled to be there, and, and I knew she was going to be just fine. But in my heart, when I said goodbye to that college freshman, I knew that life as I had known it would never be again. As I hugged her goodbye up in her dorm room and started walking down to the car, the tears were just flooding my face, and I was barely able to see where I was going as I clutched my wet tissues in my hand. And my 14-year-old son leaned over to his dad and said, Good thing that you came, Dad. We're going to need a designated driver. You see, I understand the heartbreak of separation from your child. And our Father does not want to live apart from us either. But he doesn't want to just sit in the car next to us. You see, he has a better plan. He wants to live in us so that we will never be apart again. Through the Holy Spirit, he wants to take over our hearts. And as we grow closer and closer and more and more in line with him, the power of the Holy Spirit grows in us. And obedience gradually becomes a natural desire. So how can we be holy? The holiness of grace. Our sins must be washed away through the grace of Jesus. And because Jesus has the tide to go pen, does not give us permission to eat chocolate ice cream like a two-year-old. Meganoto. God forbid.
we still need the holiness of growth. We rejoice in the grace that God has provided, but we need to learn to walk closer and closer to Jesus, allowing him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, teaching us better all the time how to lick around the edges so we don't make a mess. You know, this is a topic that is really very dear to my heart, partly because of the theology of that Bible teacher so long ago. My own children and other kids I love really struggle with this grace and obedience thing. And though they all could be poster children for cleanliness, they really aren't too interested in holiness. It's distasteful to them, undesirable. Their struggles have left me looking at my own life and realizing that there have certainly been times when my own modeling of a holy life has really fallen short. And there are stains on my heart today that I'm pretty glad that you can't see. You know, I struggle with forgiving people who have really hurt me. And I am way independent. My mother used to say that I was independent to a fault. And that makes it hard for me to work with my father side by side sometimes. And I have trust issues, sometimes with God. But when I show up, before him in my stained shirt with my dirty heart and I talk these things over with him and ask Jesus to forgive me. Will he still switch places with me? Absolutely. But I do still need his guidance in obedience and how to learn to know him better and how to serve him better? Do I need his help in really learning to love his children, especially the ones that are hard for me to love? And do I need that inside help that only the Holy Spirit can give? I do, every single day. I have zero ability to be holy on my own. But when I let Jesus switch places with me and I let the Holy Spirit take up residence in my heart, growing in me every day, I stand before the Father, completely clean. And I have the privilege of living the abundant life that Jesus came to give every day. And that abundant life is not just for me. When each of us allow Jesus to live in us, maybe, just maybe, someday your kids and my kids and all our kids, and maybe they'll notice Jesus living in us. And maybe so will our neighbors and the people we work with and the people who are all around us. And maybe 
they will allow Jesus to clean them up too. And maybe, just maybe, when that happens, we will be able to finish the job that God has given his children to do. And then we can go home. Where even chocolate ice cream will never stain us again. Lord God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we praise you for your plan that makes us clean. And we praise you for your plan that keeps us clean. May each of us understand how great is our need. But I pray that by your power, each of us will leave here today holy. And may we live to your glory. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.